Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day of worship. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for our church, and we thank you for our health. Lord, we approach the subject of marriage this morning. We pray for your guidance. We pray for your grace. We thank you for this gift, and so we just lift this to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. As we continue working our way through 1 Peter, we now arrive at the beginning of chapter 3, where Peter addresses wives and husbands with the truths of headship and the truths of submission. My wife Lindsay and I have been married nine years come July 16th, and it's the same every single year. I have not been married long enough yet to mess that up. Preparing this sermon has been quite a huge blessing. It's nice to set aside all external influences and allow the Word of God to recalibrate and guide my thoughts and my beliefs in regard to marriage. As we know, as you know if you're married, marriage can be challenging, but it is very, very rewarding, especially when we learn from and submit to God's guidance in His Word. Because of the sensitivity of this particular topic, I have leaned heavily on other pastors and theologians to ensure accuracy and care. In some areas of this sermon, I have adopted ideas and have paraphrased from John Piper, John Salehammer, John Wolverd, D.A. Carson, and Scott Andrews. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we will be reading verses 1 through 7. Normally when I preach, when I I'm given the opportunity, the privilege to do so. I like to walk around stage. I like to be loose. I like to give great stories that are relevant and help you to see how the objective and meaning in the text can be applied to your life. But today, I'm going to stay behind my transcript because I don't have any room for error. This is a, this is a sensitive subject. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Likewise, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor 
to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's the word of God for the people of God. Since our society seems to be rapidly distancing from Christian principles and values, any topic related to sex, marriage, or gender is very sensitive. I personally believe that what Americans worship most in our society is anything related to it. What happens when you stand up against false idols of any kind? You receive wrath. So standing on today's biblical truths, though culturally controversial, is very important and worth it. James 4, verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In Acts chapter 5, how did Peter and the apostles respond after the Jewish council and the high priest strictly charged them not to preach in Jesus' name? This is how they responded. We must obey God rather than man. So we go to the Bible to understand marriage and God's design and the function for marriage. Since this t- statistic of marriage is so horrible in the United States, including in the church, unfortunately, it is important that we examine what God has described and prescribed in his holy word. There are some things recorded in scripture that describe events as they unfolded. They are not meant to prescribe for us the way we are doing things. Let's take David and Goliath, for example. If we take these passages as descriptive, which they are, then there are many things we can learn from history, such as the value of trusting God. However, if we take these passages as prescriptive, which they are not, then we might make the error of going out and attacking the enemies of God with rocks or with slings and rocks. David's victory is meant to edify us, but the Bible never commands us to follow David's actions against our enemy. Matter of fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us to love our enemy. But there are some prescriptive passages of Scripture which clearly articulate roles, responsibilities, expectations, and commands. Genesis 2, which tells of the creation of Adam and Eve, for example. How do we know it's prescriptive? Well, for one thing, it speaks generally of the relationship between husband and wives. And for another, both Jesus and Paul used the passage for their teaching on marriage. So, principles in Genesis 2 transcend time and culture. For example, the scripture regularly regulates slavery, but God did not invent slavery. But God did design 
marriage. And further, he tells us how it works best. As the creator and designer of the marriage relationship, we believe God's principles and commands in Scripture concerning husbands and wives are not only binding, but are best. First Peter is not a manual for marriage. He is writing to a group of believers suffering persecution for their faith. And he writes to tell them how to live beautiful lives in the midst of such opposition for the purpose of making Christ and his gospel attractive, including to non-believing husbands. Peter lists three relationships of authority within which those under authority may face challenges. Number one, people submitting to governments. Number two, slaves submitting to unbelieving masters. And number three, wives submitting to unbelieving husbands. And right in the middle, Peter gives us Jesus as the example of one who suffered unjustly and how we should follow his footsteps. We arrive today at the third one, wives to husbands, actually whether believing or non-believing. In today's passages, Peter lays out some amazing attributes of a Christian wife. A Christian wife hopes in God. She is respectful and pure. She adorns herself with imperishable beauty. And she is fearless and she is brave. And out of all of that grows submission For the wife, everything hinges and flows through her hope in Christ. Verse 5, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God, hoped in God. A Christian woman hopes in God. She does not place her hope in her clothing, her jewelry, her hairstyle, her treasure, her husband, getting a husband, or anything other than God. This is displayed through her respectful and pure conduct and by the way she adorns herself. Instead of primarily focusing on all the external qualities, her mindset and energy are primarily focused on internal qualities and on heavenly things. Verse 3. Verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Peter is not saying that a woman cannot wear braided hair, gold jewelry, or nice clothing. Rather, he is saying that a Christian wife does not adorn herself with external qualities. Her mind is not obsessed with what she looks like. Verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. The beauty of hair will fade and or, unfortunately, fall out. Gold will tarnish 
and clothing will wear out. The beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit is imperishable and precious in God's sight. Everyone knows the Psalm, excuse me, the Proverbs 31 woman. Proverbs 31.25, strength and honor are her clothing, and she can laugh at the days to come. She is clothed with strength and honor. A Christian wife knows the word of God and what is to come. She is brave and fearless and laughs at the days to come, even the days of a pandemic. She is fearless because her hope is in the Lord. Because a Christian wife rightly places her hope in God, she is respectful and pure. She adorns herself with imperishable beauty, and she is fearless and brave. And from all of this grows godly submission. In Ephesians 5, Paul says wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. In Colossians 3.18, he says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. In 1 Peter 3.1, Peter says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own, excuse me, submissive to your own husbands with respectful behavior. Titus 2.5 says, Wives are to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. A response of the Christian wife is to submit to the husband's God-ordained leadership within the home as to the Lord. Failure to do so results the word of God being dishonored. But let me add, all people from all times all cultures, either gender, are under submission. We're all under submission to God, governments, um, employment, other people. If you think otherwise, you are deceived. Contrary to what the pagan world or our evil society says, godly submission is not weakness. It's actually the opposite. A submissive wife is a powerful woman under control. Let me repeat this. A godly wife is powerful under control. Matter of fact, she is so powerful, she doesn't even need her words to influence. Let's go back to verses 1 through 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. A wife who is in submission to a non-believing husband may actually win him over by her actions, not necessarily her words. I think the principle here is that if you want to, be, want to effectively influence your husband and to do so in a godly way, do so primarily with your actions, not your words. This does not, does not mean that a godly wife shouldn't influence or correct a husband with her words or with the scriptures. I think what Peter is telling us that it is more effective via 
our actions. Okay, what does submission actually mean? Well, I'd like to start off by explaining what it does not mean. Submission does not mean putting a husband over Christ. Christ always comes first. Second, submission does not mean checking your brain at the door. You did not leave reason at the wedding altar. Remember, the context here is with a non-believing husband. The wife made her own choice to follow Christ while her husband decided not to. The Christian wife should still hear, ponder, understand, and respond to the word of God herself. During this time, pagan families were expected to worship, believe, and obey the patriarch of the family. But obviously with Christianity, someone comes to faith, their allegiance goes to Christ. Third, submission does not mean a wife should give up efforts to influence her husband. Peter says wives should try to influence unbelieving husbands to become Christians. However, however, fourth, we see that submission does not mean a wife should give into every demand of her husband. If he demands she sin against God, she should respectfully decline. Fifth, submission does not mean a wife should let her husband abuse her physically or emotionally. Sixth, submission does not mean that a wife is to act out of fear towards her husband. Your submission is free, not coerced. You have it because Jesus, Jesus gave it to you, and you submit out of freedom in Christ. Seventh, Submission is not based on lesser intelligence or competence. We are not talking about inferiority or superiority. We are talking about loving headship and willful submission. Eighth, submission does not mean that a wife primarily gets her personal spiritual strength and growth from her husband. Under the authority of Christ, a wife should feel safe and helped by her her Christian husband's existence, not depleted by his selfish demands and desires. Now that we know what submission is not, what is it? Well, this is how John Piper describes it. It's a disposition to follow a husband's authority and the inclination to yield to his leadership. This brings us to our last point about wives. Follow the example of the holy women of the past, not the unholy women of the present. Peter even cites the example of Sarah. Sarah was not perfect. She made her share of mistakes, some of them serious. But the testimony of Scripture is that she was a holy and godly woman proven by her actions and her attitude. She is even listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah demonstrated a submissive spirit in her actions by obeying her husband, and by addressing him with honor. Christian wives, follow the holy women of the past and not the unholy women 
of the present. Let me ask you this. Who do you want to be like? The world wants you to be mostly concerned with your external features, things that will perish. The world wants you to be covered in makeup and half-naked on magazine covers as an object for people to use and abuse. The world wants you to be like the women who are propped up on dance poles grabbing themselves during the halftime show of the Super Bowl. Who do you want to be like? How about being like Sarah or Esther or Deborah or Mary or Martha or Priscilla or Dorcas? Sisters, there are many holy women of the Bible whose character you should reflect. Your husbands need you. You were made as fellow heirs with them to this grace of life. There is a hypothetical voice from a Christian wife to her husband that I'm going to throw out there. I don't like it when you are passive, unpresent, emotionally, and I have to try hard to make our family work. My deep desire for you, my husband, is to help you gently lead our family spiritually so you can fulfill God's purpose as a husband and a leader. Men are far from perfect and should want their wives' help. God has made us helpers. God made husbands and wives to serve him as one in flesh. Though men and women are made with equal value, they have different roles, and contrary to what you will hear from society or any voice of opposition, different roles don't mean a difference in value. We are all made in the image and likeness of God with equal value. Since God is the one who designed marriage, it is best for us when we submit to his ways. He didn't design marriage for us to fight and to fail. He designed it for us to serve him together, united, and to flourish, even through trials and tribulations, just like Peter's audience, these Gentile Christians experiencing persecution, and to do this all to the glory of God. Everything that is designed has function, and everything that has function has purpose. Don't let the evil spirit of the world convince you otherwise. The last, the last verse in this section deals with husbands. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter encouraged Christian husbands to give their wives two loving gifts, understanding and respect. Husbands should understand and be considerate of their wives' spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. In Ephesians 5, verses 28 through 30, Paul also elaborated on the husband's responsibility to protect and care for his wife, just as Christ does the church. Ephesians 5, 28 through 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, 
but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one. One flesh. According to John Wolverd, quote, Husbands are to treat their wives with respect as the weaker partner. Weaker refers to physical or emotional weakness, not intellectual inferiority, for wives are their husbands, fellow heirs of God's gift of life, end quote. Peter closes this section by adding that a husband's prayer will be hindered if he does not treat his wife with consideration and respect. Brothers, if you don't treat your wife right, you shouldn't expect your prayers to be answered. This should actually scare you. One of the, one of the most amazing privileges that we have on this side of eternity is prayer, that we can actually pray to God and be tapped in to our source of life. Marriage is hard. It's hard for everyone. It's a lifelong process of learning how to love and serve each other in, hum- in humility under the authority of Christ, whom we all submit to, the ultimate authority. And, th- and though it is challenging, it is so rewarding. It's a huge blessing for, from God. Paraphrasing Frank Turek, quote, healthy marriages are a natural immune system for a society. When marriages fail, a society gets sick and weak. I fear our society is now sick and weak. Because of COVID-19, families are now more physically present with each other. We have cabin fever, we've been together, we're We have great, um, amazing opportunity to be intimate. Use this time to cultivate your marriages and to grow closer, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. My fear is that some families are going to be physically closer than they've ever been, but end up on the other side of this more distant from each other because they weren't present emotionally or spiritually. Husbands, remember this. Your wives are very powerful women under control of the Holy Spirit. Because a Christian wife rightly places her hope in God, she is respectful and pure. She adorns herself with amazing, imperishable beauty, and she is a very fearless and very brave woman. There's a quote by John Piper. Christ came for his church and died for her and to fill her with joy. It cannot be bad news in our marriages when this is happening. End quote. And now I'd like to close with Proverbs 31:25. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she can laugh at the days to come. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the opportunity to worship you and to set aside any external influences and to learn about marriage and to recalibrate our hearts with our spouses. 
And so, Lord, we pray that you protect our church, protect our marriages, and help us to submit to you. And we thank you that we have our hope in Christ. And we lift all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.